Hey, Noodle. Noodle. What? Come here. I got a question for you. Okay. What did the scarf say to the hat? What? What did the scarf say to the hat? I don't know. You go on ahead. I'm going to hang around a bit longer. You got to stop doing this. Come on. That's funny. No, it's really not. Noodle. It's dumb. Noodle. Welcome to another episode of Just Another Fanboy, the podcast with so many issues that there just aren't enough bags and boards. I'm your host, my name is Steven, and today I want to bring things back around to another issue in a series of comics I haven't talked about in over four months. And that series is ElfQuest by Richard and Wendy Peeney. Today I'm talking about issue number nine of the original Quest, but because it's been a bit... I figured that maybe I should give y'all a brief retelling of the first eight issues just to catch everybody up. But first, I just want to take a quick moment to ask y'all, if you haven't yet, go on out there and give my new show, Event or Else, a great big old try. This is a video show created for YouTube, but there's an audio version out there as well. For those of you who might not have the time to pause in your hectic too busy day-to-day schedule to stop and watch a silly little video about comics. Event or Else is the show where each week I take you through most every major Marvel and DC event, one issue at a time, one episode at a time, and all you got to do to be part of the fun is to go over to eventorelse.com. From there, you can pick your platform of choice. Watch the show on YouTube or Facebook, or maybe listen to the audio version on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. The choice, my friends, is up to you. But hey, how about a clip from the latest episode, episode number four, in which I go through Marvel Superheroes Secret Wars, issue number four, from August of 1984. Wow, that's a lot of fours. The issue opens with Hero Base just getting all kinds of blowed up. The villains search the wreckage for signs of survivors, but they're hoping for signs of non-survivors, meaning dead folk. Basically, they just want to know if they killed the heroes or not. Unfortunately for the villains, they find neither survivors nor corpses, for our heroes have managed to escape. Molecule Man and Volcana continue to bond. She finds it most impressive that he destroyed Hero Base with just a wave of his hand. He tells her it's easy when you have control over all molecules. He also tells her to call him Owen, and she thinks the name is just darling. Meanwhile, Dr. Octopus, using a special pair of glasses designed to detect movement, finds the heroes regrouping five miles away. Titania grabs up a house-sized bit of rubble and hurls it at the heroes. The Wrecker and his wrecking crew follow suit, just with much smaller bits of rubble. The Absorbing Man tries to rally the villains to give chase, but Molecule Man points out that none of that is necessary, and by using his mastery over all molecules, he lifts a distant mountain range into the air, which he plans on dropping atop the heroes. We meet up with the heroes who are battered and bruised. The Hulk is carrying Spider-Man, She-Hulk, Ben Grimm, and Reed Richards. Iron Man is carrying Captain Marvel. All five of the heroes are unconscious. Spider-Man wakes, however, pulled out of his healing slumber by his spider sense, alerting him to danger from above. He warns the others, and we see that bit of house-sized rubble streaking their way through the air. 
Normally, this is something the Hulk would handle, but with his hands full, he's fairly useless. So Hawkeye steps up and fires an explosive arrow at the rubble, splitting it in half. Iron Man, without dropping Captain Marvel, manages to fire his repulsor beams and deflect the fragments to either side of them so that they don't fall on top of everybody. With that danger past, Captain America tries to keep them moving when suddenly a mountain range drops on top of them, killing them all dead. The villains rejoice. Holy crap, a mountain range? Does Cap and his team survive? Well, of course they do. We wouldn't have the Marvel Cinematic Universe without him. The question is, how did they survive? Go watch or listen to episode number four today. 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 That was was pretty dramatic. All right, with that out of the way, here's ElfQuest issues one through eight in a nutshell. And you can read all of these issues for free online, by the way, and legally, I might add. Just go to elfquest.com and pick the option for read online. And there you are. So the questing of these elves begins on the world of two moons with the wolf riders and their chief, Cutter. These are a tribe of short statured elves that live happy and content with their wolf friends in the forest home they call the Holt. At least that was until their most hated enemies, the humans, burned the forest along with the Holt to the ground. The elves fled to the safety of the troll tunnels only to be tricked by the wily trolls who sent the elves down a long tunnel under the promise of finding a new forest home at the end. Instead, when their underground journey ended, they found only a barren desert wasteland in front of them and a collapsed tunnel behind. With no choice but to go forward, the elves crossed the wasteland using Skywise's lodestone as a guide. Skywise is Cutter's best bud, and the lodestone is a piece of rock chipped from a boulder in the troll's main hall. A boulder, the trolls say, that fell from the sky. The lodestone is magnetic, and it always points north like a compass. Anyway, they crossed the wasteland and found themselves another group of elves living in the desert oasis of Sorrow's End. The Wolf Riders, believing they were the only elves left in the world of Two Moons, decided to throw diplomacy out the window and raid Sorrow's End for what they needed. It was during the raid that Cutter meets Lita, the village healer and his spiritually bonded life mate. The raid ended, apologies were made, and eventually the Wolf Riders were welcomed into the village by all of them except Rayak, the village hunter who always saw himself growing old with Lita at his side. And so Cutter and Rayak participate in a series of games to see who will stand down their efforts to win Lita's hand. And Cutter, of course, comes out victorious. Rayak, in his anger, leaves the village forever and sets off across the desert. I should mention here that there is a magic of some sort present among the elves here in the world of Two Moons. The elves, we learn, are actually beings from another world. Their ship, after disguising itself as a castle, crashed on the world of Two Moons, stranding the elves and trolls on an unfamiliar world many, many generations past. The elves of the present refer to those elves as the High Ones and the ship as the Palace of the High Ones. 
These elves, the high ones, were tall like humans, but they were slender and graceful. The high ones were all kinds of magical, and some of that magic still exists among the elves today. Lita can heal. Rayak can move objects with his mind like a Jedi. The oldest elf in Sorrow's End is a tall elf named Sava who can travel about in an astral form. And one of the wolf riders named Red Lance can shape plants and trees, making them grow into any shape he wishes. And all of the elves can talk to each other telepathically. They call it sending, though the elves in Sorrow's End seem to have forgotten this ability. Anyway, after Rayak leaves, Lita and Cutter get together, and then the story skips ahead seven years. Cutter and Lita are together, and they have two kids, or as the wolf riders call them, cubs, and their names are Ember and Suntop. They are twins, a girl and a boy. The wolf riders have settled in and made a home for themselves in Sorrow's End, when suddenly a small group of humans arrive. It's a family, and they're starved and weak, and so Cutter lets them go. But their appearance gets him thinking, and he decides to leave Sorrow's End and go back to their old home. He feels that there has to be more elves in the world, and figures that back home is the best place to start. Skywise goes with him, and the two set off, and here is where the quest officially begins. On their journey, they find that the trolls are no longer in their tunnels. They run across Picknose. This is the troll that led them down the tunnel, that then led them into the desert. He's the guy that collapsed the tunnel behind them. He tells them of trolls from the north, more savage trolls, and that's where all of the trolls originally came from. Well, these trolls from the north show up one day, they invade, and they take all the others with them back north. But Pick knows his new wife and her mother escaped. They also discover that their old forest home is nothing more than burned up stumps for miles and miles, but still they trek on. Cutter gets sick after being bitten by a rabid squirrel, and amazingly enough, he is cared for by a human named Nona. She comes from a place called the Blue Mountain, where her and her people worshipped a group of elves they called bird spirits, elves who rode giant birds. In the meantime, Sava is out traveling in her astral form, checking up on Cutter and Skywise when she encounters something dark and evil that traps her inside her own mind. Suntop, Cutter and Lita's boy, appears to have some of the same abilities as Sava, and he's able to communicate with her just enough that he insists that they leave and go warn his father. And that, my friends, is where we left off. Phew, that was a lot. That's eight issues. I did that rather quick. And yeah, Gonna pat myself on the back. Pat, pat. So issue nine opens with the Wolf Riders preparing to leave Sorrow's End to accompany Lita and her kids to go find Cutter and warn him of the danger, this great evil that he and Skywise are headed toward. The villagers, they are not at all happy to see them go because the Wolf Riders, since Rayak is gone, the Wolf Riders have done all their hunting for them, but Dart offers to stay behind and teach the villagers to hunt. Dart is Strongbow and Moonshade's son. Strongbow is an archer who speaks only by sending, and Moonshade is the tanner who makes all their wonderful clothes. They don't like the idea of leaving their son behind because he's only like 12 or something, but they respect his wishes and the wolf rider set off 
across the desert. In the meantime, Cutter and Skywise are still with the humans, Nona and her husband, Adar, who have nursed Cutter back to health. The hut they live in was shaped out of the trees by elven magic, and Cutter finds this and her talk of the bird spirits intriguing, and he wants to know more. Skywise, on the other hand, wants to move on. He's not happy being with the humans, despite their kindness, because they are the ancient enemy, and they make him uncomfortable. Adar, however, asks Skywise for his help. He's from a nearby village. He had journeyed to the Blue Mountain, where he met Nona, and he'd brought her back to his village. But the village shamaness, the bone woman, didn't trust Nona, saying that she was evil and that she communed with the evil spirits and she had them exiled from the village. Adar, he's fine with that. He likes being out in the forest alone with his wife, but he knows that Nona misses being around other people and he wants Cutter and Skywise to use their spirit powers to force the villagers to take him back. Skywise wants nothing to do with the humans, but Cutter agrees if only because he knows that from the village... Adar can show them how to get to the Blue Mountain, where, Cutter hopes, they will meet these bird spirits. For nearly a month, the two elves and the two humans trek through the forest until they arrive at the human village, where Cutter and Skywise convince the human chief, Olbar, to allow Nona and Adar to stay. The Bone Woman is not happy about this. And it was actually a kind of a funny moment when we first meet the Bone Woman because she's kind of squat and round and she comes screaming out of nowhere about, no, they're evil, they must go. And Skywise and Cutter are communicating telepathically and Skywise says, Skywise is basically like, holy crap, is that a troll? And Cutter says, no, I don't think trolls get that ugly. So that should tell you what kind of person the Bone Woman is, or at least what she looks like. Well, anyway, she's not happy that they're back, and she meets in secret with the man she just simply calls Thief. She tells him that the power of the two spirits must come from the lodestone that Skywise wears around his neck, and if Thief will steal it for her, the power will become hers. And as repayment, she will get Thief back for him the one thing he desires most above any other, his true name. And so Thief, using a potion given to him by the Bone Woman to mask his scent, creeps up on Skywise, and he almost manages to steal the lodestone. Skywise, however, sees him at the last moment and slashes out with his sword, cutting off Thief's thumb. In the meantime, Lita and the group of wolf riders arrive at the Wall of Rock at the other end of the desert. Now, this is where the wolf riders emerged from the Tunnel of the Trolls. Now, however, the wolf riders, they're in a different spot. They were led through the desert by Suntop's magic, and so they, they come to a different spot than where they came out from the troll tunnels. When they get there, they discover a small cave in the rock wall, and inside that cave are the bones of an elf. It appears to be a tomb. The bones, Lita realizes, can only be Rayex, and she mourns the passing of her friend. I mean, despite the trouble that he gave Cutter, he was her best friend for many, many years, and she can't help but be sad. The wolf riders journey on, following the rock wall, guided by Suntop, until finally they find a pass through the rock, and so they enter. Back at the human village, Adar takes Cutter and Skywise to the top of a waterfall. He tells them that they need to climb down and follow the river past the Valley of Endless Sleep to the Blue Mountain. He even provides them with a bit of rope made from vines to assist in their descent 
and then he leaves them to it. Cutter says goodbye to Nona and Adar in a really sweet little scene because he ends up telling them that they are the first humans to touch them with love instead of hate. In the meantime, the bone woman fixing up Thief's hand plots with him to try again. This time, however, he demands to be chief if he retrieves the lodestone. She agrees, and so he sets off, thinking to himself that when he does get the stone, maybe he'll keep it for himself. Then he's going to have all the power. As Cutter and Skywise prepare for their descent, Cutter's wolf, Nightrunner, makes it clear that he's not going any further. They have a conversation. You know, how are we going to get the wolves down this sheer cliff? And Cutter basically says, well, they're just going to have to find the long way around and they can meet us down in the valley. And that's when he he goes to a pet, Nightrunner, and Nightrunner takes a bite at him. He doesn't actually bite at him, but he snips at him. And that's when they realize Nightrunner is just too old. He's too old. He can journey no more. It's the way the wolves are. Once they're once they're ready to basically retire, they just go off on their own until they die. So Cutter, he spends his last moments with the wolf, scratching his belly and stuff, and then Nightrunner goes off. But he doesn't go off alone. Skywise's wolf, Starjumper, goes with him. The two wolves are as close as Cutter and Skywise, and Starjumper is going to remain with Nightrunner, helping him hunt until he breathes his last breath. It was actually all really quite sad. It was a touching, very, very touching moment in the book. And so as Skywise then is about to descend down the cliff, Thief sneaks up and using a sling, flings a rock at him. At the same time, we see that Lita and the Wolf Riders, they are elsewhere. They're taking a rest in a field near a river and Suntop starts freaking out saying that they can't stay there, that this isn't safe. This is not a place they want to be. The others, however, knowing that they're going to be off soon, they're just taking a rest. They ignore him, thinking that the journey has gotten to him, that it's been too long and hard and that he's just exhausted. Tree Stump, the oldest of the wolf riders, so old, he's not any taller than him. The only way you know he's older than the rest of them is because he's got a beard. He spies a giant bird in the sky and he tells Strongbow that if he can bring it down, it will be enough meat to feed them all. Strongbow in his mind is thinking, if I can bring it down. Come on, son, I'm Strongbow. Suntop then calls out to Strongbow that he mustn't kill the bird, but Strongbow lets the arrow fly. We then see both the stone and the arrow each flying toward their marks. The stone strikes Skywise just as the arrow strikes the bird. Skywise goes down. He's unconscious as Thief lets loose with another stone. Cutter manages to get his hand up to block the stone from striking his head, but his hand and arm go numb. Thief attacks with a club, but Cutter, even though he's literally half the human size, manages to stick him in the belly with his sword. It's it's all wow. Basically, freaking Thief is just standing there in front of him with his club. Cutter pulls his sword and Thief starts laughing. He's like, look at you. You're like a little freaking kid. There's nothing you can do to me. I'm a great big tall human. I'm stronger than you. I'm taller than you. I'm bigger than you. And he doesn't get much farther than that before Cutter just sticks him in the belly with his sword. So Thief, as he's dying, he falls from the cliff. But as he does, Skywise is starting to come to. He's starting to pull himself up. And so as Thief is falling, he reaches out and he manages to grab a hold of the lodestone that's hanging from Skywise's neck. And he pulls Skywise with him over the edge. As they're falling, Skywise slams into the side of the cliff, breaking his arm, but he then manages to reach out with the other arm and he grabs a hold of a branch, stopping his fall as Thief 
disappears into the river below, dead before he hit the water. Cutter, ignoring his deathly fear of heights, climbs down to get his friend. Skywise clings to Cutter's back, but as Cutter climbs back up to the cliff, Skywise passes out. So Cutter basically has to stop. He's got to stop climbing and reach back with one of his arms to hold Skywise to his back. He's got one arm holding Skywise and the other arm is holding the rope. He's basically stuck. He can go no further. He's pretty upset about that at this point. And he starts cursing all humans everywhere out loud. And then suddenly from above, somebody starts pulling the rope with them upward towards safety. As they near the top, Cutter sees that their rescuer is Olbar, the chief of the human village where he left Nona and Adar. Olbar, as he's pulling them up, he's strong enough that he is holding this vine out in front of him with Cutter and Skywise on it, and he's just letting it dangle there over the abyss below them. He's decided at this point that it's the right time to mess with the elf. It's obvious to him that neither elf is magical. They don't, they don't have powers. They're not spirits. He wonders aloud what would happen if he cut the rope and let them fall. But he doesn't do it. He pulls them to safety. And then Olbar laments the fact that the two elves aren't actually spirits because he'd hoped they would be able to help him with the problem. It seems that sometime back, his daughter had taken up with the young man from the village, a youth that Olbar did not like, and she ran away into the forbidden forest with the dude. Olbar and some hunters gave chase, but they were repelled by tiny winged spirits, and he hasn't seen her since. And he was kind of hoping that Cutter and Skywise might be able to do something about getting his daughter back. But once he's realized now that they're not immortal, magical beings, he's lost that hope. Cutter tells him, however, that maybe they can still help. And so Olbar takes them to the cliff's edge and he points out out there in the in the distance at the landscape beyond the cliff, points out where the Forbidden Forest is and they part ways. As the issue ends, we are shown one final panel. It's depicting the grassland and the river where Lita and the wolf riders had stopped to rest and where Strongbow had shot at a giant bird in the sky. The elves are no longer there. All that's left are the wolves howling into the evening, a dead zwoot, which is basically, if you don't recall, like a camel horse thing. You see some broken weapons, a few large feathers, and their discarded belongings scattered about on the ground. And that's how it ends. It looks like the wolf riders were attacked and possibly carried away. So let's see if we can piece together what may have happened with what we know. And what we know is that Nona and her people lived in the shadow of Blue Mountain and worshipped elves they referred to as bird spirits, elves that rode giant birds. Strongbow shot a giant bird with an arrow, and now it seems that the wolf riders have been carried off, possibly by elves riding giant birds. Could this be the great evil that Suntop needed to warn his father about? Probably. But I tell you, like I said at the top of the episode, it's been over four months since I've read any elf quest. Yet, despite that, jumping back in for me was like jumping back onto my favorite bicycle. Though, to be honest, I haven't been on a bike in maybe two decades. Basically, what I'm saying is that I've read these books so many times that no matter how long it's been, months or years, it's like I never left. And the story is really starting to open up here at this point. Since the actual quest began in issue number six, 
We've learned about more trolls, savage trolls from the north. And now we have more human settlements, some kind of odd pixie type creature we've only seen in this issue from Obar's story about the tiny winged spirits that chase them from the Forbidden Forest. And we're hearing about more humans that possibly worshipped more elves. And these are elves that ride great big birds. I mean, by this point in the story, I feel like the possibilities are endless. And I cannot imagine a book that's much more fun. And yet, at the end of this issue, things have grown rather serious. And while I know what's going to happen to the Wolf Riders eventually, I honestly can't remember exactly what happens next. (sighs) Hopefully it won't be another four months before I find out. I don't know why it took me so long to get back into this book. I regret waiting so long. Hopefully I can do something about that in the future. Again, if you haven't read any ElfQuest yet, or even if you want to read them again, they have them available to read for free online at ElfQuest.com. This is the official ElfQuest site, so there's nothing shady or illegal going on there. I rather want to know if you're reading them and what you think. If you are, you can send me your thoughts at feedback at justanotherfanboy.com, or you can join the discussion over on the new Facebook group I created. It's called Or Else, O-R-R, Else, and it is the place to be to discuss comics, movies, TV, books, and music, as well as the episodes of the Or Else family of podcasts. Just Another Fanboy, Event Or Else, and Steven Or Else. The link will be in the show notes, but you can also just go on over to Facebook and search for or else again that's o-r-r else it is a private group so you're gonna have to request membership but i'll let you in i promise we'd love to have you until then that's the episode folks elf quest number nine what's gonna happen next i don't know i mean i do but i'm not gonna spoil it instead i'll just sign off by reminding you all that my name is steven and i'm just another fanboy be nice to each other Good job.